Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Green Dot EAA's podcast about all things general aviation coming to you from our headquarters here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor for print and digital content and publications at EAA. Normally, uh, on my left would be Chris Henry, but today we've got uh, we've got a wonderful fill-in host. Introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, I'm Mac Dixon. I'm senior government advocacy specialist here at EAA. I could never fill Chris's shoes, but I will. I will try my best for this one episode. And you have been on with us as a as a guest before. And that's, that's right. When we talked about uh, my imaginary career for you as Mac Dixon, Private Eye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, sitting across the table, Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. Excellent. And our uh, our very special guest, our first returning guest, uh, we're uh, we're very pleased to welcome back our fearless leader, none other than EA uh, CEO and Chairman of the Board, Jack Pelton. Jack, welcome back. Thanks, Al. It's uh, great to be back. Unfortunately, I, I also at the same time ha- say, would have to say uh, uh, under unfortunate circumstances to have to quickly be back to, to talk about uh, an issue that's uh, potentially got some grave impact on our, our community. Absolutely, and that's why we wanted to put this one together. Now, uh, for those out there listening, normally we do record these with uh, sometimes uh, even a couple of weeks uh, of lead time. We record them sort of when and as we can, but uh, we're recording this one Late in the afternoon on Wednesday, the 28th, and it'll go live uh, Thursday morning, the 29th. And, uh, and the reason for this is a hot-button issue that probably comes as no surprise, and that's uh, all the talk about ATC privatization. So, uh, Jack, maybe starting in, in your words with this talk about privatization, what exactly does that mean? Well, <clears throat> today there's a, a bill that's been proposed in the House, and there will be one proposed on Thursday in the Senate. And the, the bill is fundamentally of how we're going to reauthorize the FA. So what will the FA funding system look like and what will be in the governance of it? Uh, the House has decided that in that funding bill to propose taking the air traffic control system out of the FA's uh, responsibility and put it into a, a private entity that would be a nonprofit and with no oversight of the government, uh, essentially at all. Absolutely, the the uh, the House version uh, of of FAA reauthorization has privatization in it. Uh, we just went through a, a markup of that bill yesterday. Uh, It'll be Tuesday, the uh, what twenty seventh. That, mm-hmm. That's correct. Yep. And uh, tomorrow, Thursday, the twenty uh, ninth. Uh, we'll have a markup of the Senate version, which is, does not have uh, ATC privatization in it. Um, but uh, Jack hit the nail on the head. Uh, it, it, it takes a significant portion of, uh, of the FAA and moves it to a, a nonprofit corporation. Uh, it would be one of the largest, if not the largest, divestiture of a public asset in American history. So it's, this is a significant uh, thing that, that we uh, need to be on top of. And, um, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong a little bit, but the uh, essentially what it would be would it be a nonprofit corporation that would be uh, run by a board of directors. I think it was a 12 or 13 person board of directors, 13, yeah, 13, yeah um, with uh, many spots on it representing um, commercial aviation interests, um, airlines, uh, cargo airlines, regional airlines, um, and um, some of the some of the associated um, you know unions and labor groups thereof, um, and really only two spots representing any kind of general aviation interests. So you know, two against 
11, essentially. The three of you are, uh, are far better versed uh, in this, uh, certainly, than I am. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have talked about this issue once before on a previous episode when uh, Sean Elliott uh, and, and Mac had joined us at that time. But I, I think we, we want to hit it uh, again in, in sort of big picture. And, uh, and Jack, I'd like to start with you. And just help me understand why, uh, why is this bad? You know, on paper, EAA is an organization where we're about freedom. Uh, we tend to be in favor of, of leaner uh, government and smaller regulations and things like that. Um, so so what, is, what is bad about this uh, to the layperson? Well, it's uh, a great question, Helen. You can't really take it at the face value of the bill and dissect it and say what is bad. You have to rewind the clock and look at the history of how we got to where we are today. There's been many attempts to privatize the air traffic control system. We went through this actually last year, uh, and it never made it out of committee. At that time, it was very clear that the airlines wanted to take control of the air, the air traffic control system so that they had, one, control the cost, but also the access and a lot of other issues. And when you'd argue, you'd argue, why, why are we doing that? It was very unclear, which said that there was an agenda there that hasn't been completely transparent. The argument really was around we need a stable and predictable funding mechanism for the FAA, and they thought by taking it moving into a private entity, it would then allow it to be funded by itself. And you scratch your head, and, and, and this argument is still very, very true today. We have an air traffic control system that is the, the finest in the world, there's no debates or arguments against that. It's the safest. It manages the most traffic of anywhere in the world, and it provides equal access anywhere in the United States for all users of the system, from the uh, non-radio-equipped J3 Cub to a you know a 787. So you're, you have to ask yourself, what what is the problem that we're trying to fix here? If it's a funding problem, let's get our heads around doing the appropriate things with appropriations or how we how we fund the system. But to you know categorically remove it and put it into a now a system that has no congressional oversight, so we as users, we as taxpayers, we who have built the system through our tax dollars now have no say in other than our, our two board seats, and, and that's you know two against eleven um, in what's going to transpire moving forward. And that you know I, you don't want to you don't want to be an alarmist or doomsday, but it hasn't. None of this has been clearly defined as to what that is going to look like what the governance model is going to be, how it's going to work, uh, what that independent corporation might do. I, I put on my, my business hat from my prior career and say, there's a lot of things that businesses do that government doesn't do in their decision making. Uh, one of them is, yep, the government sometimes spends more than it may need to. It, it may be slow in implementing things, but it's very assured that it will continue operating. In a business, if you have a down year and you have revenues that are down, you know, you immediately start burning the chairs, you start looking for other revenue <laughs> sources, you, you do whatever is necessary to get this thing at least to a break even. Um, that's probably one of my general biggest concerns, because then you can take that thread and come to all sorts of other conclusions that are terribly negative for our industry, and especially for uh, EA and our, our event here in Oshkosh. Yeah, I think it's an important note, and, and Jack, you touched upon it, about access. And right now, with air traffic control falling under the FAA. The FAA is a disinterested government third party and ensures access to everyone who is so rated and properly equipped. And, and, you know, obviously you can't fly a cub into a class Bravo airport, but you know, within the, within the regs, everybody has fair access to, to the national airspace system. 
uh, in this case, that arbiter is lost, and it's placed under a, the control of a board that is now made up of system users. And you know, we've talked about the the makeup of the board, but it now, and and this this proposal gets compared to to other systems in the world, especially Nav Canada. And Nav Canada's system does not have a, a board of system users. It has a third-party disinterested board. So I think that's important to to understand. Yeah. I, I like to use Representative Todd Rokita's quote that he, he used, and that's when he was Secretary of State of Indiana, they privatized the, the, the Indiana Tollway. And he said, well, we didn't turn the Indiana Tollway over to the over to the truckers and say, oh, I'm sure you'll take care of the cars too. So that's, <laughs> it's, and I think that sums it up perfectly as, as far as the access question goes. And one of the things that I think is, we, we should address here too is, you know, we're talking about funding, we're talking about, um, you know, an inefficient system, well, and, you know, a system that does have its inefficiencies, you know, FAA, like any bureaucracy, there's going to be some, um, there's going to be some inefficiencies, there's going to be some waste in there. Um, can, can I interject on yeah, that? Yeah, go ahead. Because I, I think also there's been a, a misrepresentation of some of the facts by the people who want to privatize it, and, mm -hmm. and primarily that's been the airlines. When you look at the, the air traffic control system and its flaws, there aren't any flaws relative to the safety and the ability to get to any airport at any time um, through the navigational system of flight planning and all that. The, the real issue that people try to blend it into saying the entire thing is broken has been on the implementation of modernization and the and, and it's a rear view mirror perspective in that in, in putting in next gen that there's been a lot of money spent probably more than needed to be spent and it was a little bit delayed in, in its implementation these same folks are the ones who aren't equipping who wanted to be a part of this with ADSB the airlines have asked for delays in implementation and so you're, you're, you get very confused and conflicted with what, what's their position here? You want, you're, you're saying you want to modernize, yet you don't even do it yourself. Right. Um, it, it, so it makes me really wonder, again, what is the real agenda? As far as that rearview mirror concern on implementation of technology, that just happens to be the processes that are used in the government from a procurement standpoint and others. Those can be fixed without having to blow up the whole system or, or take the whole system and put it into an unknown operating system. And to me, that's a much easier fix, you know, th to be able to do that. Um, so again, we take a, a little trivial part of the overall problem and, and say that the entire thing is crashed. And this data and facts do not support that. Delta Airlines was quoted in their, in their non-support for this initiative as saying, their uptime and their ability to use the system has been higher than it's ever been. I want to say it's in the high 90% when you look at the system causing delays for them. The real delays of, of our commercial air traffic system is weather, and no privatized system can control weather. So, you know, again, let's make sure that the people who are promoting this are getting to folks that the real facts, and, and we have a responsibility to provide that to you as, as to what's transpired. Well, and, and Jack, if, if you've, you know, you've worked uh, quite a bit in, in the corporate world and, you know, if a company is horribly mismanaged or if there's really bad waste or uh, sometimes even just has a little bit of bad luck, it goes under and its competitors will take over to kind of fill that demand. What happens with a privatized, you know, privatized entity that's essentially statutorily created? Um, what happens if they fail? Well, and... Before I answer that, you get into sure. the essence of, of another economic problem with this 
depending on what your political viewpoints are, and I think the conservatives that are that are pushing this say, see, we're getting government out of your hair. Well, you're really taking taxpayers' assets and not selling them to an entity. You're giving them to a complete monopoly, which violates all free market principles in, in economics. And th this entity that you're sending it to, one, isn't being competed. Two, it doesn't have an exit ramp that you're talking about. If this thing fails, uh, chances are it's going to get handed back to the government. And by then it's too late. It's in pieces and you're repairing it. So there's a lot of interesting, even even ideological issues here that don't make sense. So as we sit here, uh, you know, late in the afternoon on June 28th, um, there's, uh, you know, obviously there's been some impetus to, uh, uh, to bring you on, Jack, and to, to help get uh, get the word out about some of these things, and with, with Max sitting in, and of course Tom filling his usual role. Um, which one of you can give me a... Uh, um, Kind of an executive summary of where things stand right now in terms of sort of the, the legislative situation. I, I certainly can't. If these, I mean, we're, I mean, the process is the the House uh, Transportation Infrastructure Committee has proposed a bill that for reauthorizing the FA, and in that bill, um, they recommend that you take ATC out of the uh, responsibility of, of the government and the FA and put in this private entity. That bill went into a markup session in the committee and then was voted on, and it was pretty much a partisan vote other than Todd Rakita, who uh, was the only Republican member voting against it, which we give him uh, great kudos for standing up and taking a leadership position in doing that. This bill then will get sent to the House floor at some point. We're hearing probably end of July, I think, is the, is the timetable, yep. to where there'll be debates and arguments, and eventually somebody will call for a vote on the House floor. That's the House bill. The, the Senate bill is going into committee, and it actually comes out of the Commerce Committee. Not They don't have Transportation Infrastructure Committee, and that is um, – you guys fact-check me on this. That is supposed to happen tomorrow on Thursday That's uh, with the goal of getting it uh, – getting a bill passed, and their bill does not have privatization in it as we speak today, and that's always a, a nervous factor. That would get out of committee on Thursday, and at some point the – Senate then would go to the floor with a vote probably in the July time frame also. If the House floor passes and accepts this bill, that means they would go to conference with the Senate on whatever bill they elect to pass. And then they debate it and, and there you are, you're done. Um, so really we're at it, we're at some, we're, there's a set of gates here and we're at a very precarious gate in the fact that the House has, is going to vote on a bill that has privatization in it. And right now, our belief is that it may have enough momentum to get through the House if we don't take action, if we don't go talk to all of the House members. And I say we, we as EA members, every one of you in the districts that you live, uh, get with your elected officials to you know, express that you do not support privatization. Yeah, and it's possible that the Senate could be a backstop here, but we certainly aren't banking on it. Yeah, and Tom, what I'm worried about today on that is, you know, as of late, even as late as last night, there's still concern and discussions as to the Senate has talked about a bill that doesn't have privatization before it went to committee, but, you know, they're, they're going to be persuading each other along the way, and, and we certainly don't want it to get out of committee with privatization as an element to it. Sure. 
So going back to the uh, markup session yesterday, um, there have been some uh, claims thrown around that um, a lot of the issues that we've talked about have been addressed, uh, that there have been some amendments that have uh, mitigated some of the arguments that, uh, that, that we've been making against uh, the privatization proposal. Um, what's, uh, where, where, are we, where are we sitting on that right now? Why are we still opposed? It's really about the whole fundamental concept and principle of privatization versus the line items that have been thrown in there. Um, there's also, as, as I mentioned, the, the, the process to get to a final reauthorization bill could cause many of those items that have been put in there to be thrown out because they were really offered up as, as a token olive branch to general aviation to say we're concerned. I mean, we know you're concerned and we'll throw a few things in there that uh, hopefully will protect you or mitigate you, but there's no assurances. When, once it goes into this new entity, um, to your earlier point, so they've got to run their business as they see fit to make it the books all balance and at least be net neutral. And we don't control any of that. And we are two of 13 voices. And if you do a kind of a count on that board, you've got two airline seats, a regional airline seat, a uh, uh, freight seat. So, okay, there's there's four, four votes that are probably heavily aligned around commercial access and the need for commercial access. You got the Department of Defense, you got the Department of Transportation, who are there to make sure the airlines get what they need. You have the the air traffic controllers who uh, are going to make sure they protect their their jobs and do whatever the rest of them want. Um, you also have the airline pilots union that are I would think they would line up with the airlines. So I there, I don't see any way we could ever win a vote. And they're talking about it's everything's got to be done by two thirds majority. The numbers just don't even add up. Yeah. And I mean, the, uh, the the bill does have a statutory prohibition against user fees against, for general aviation being collected by this um, by this entity, but that's the case now, is it not? I mean, there there is a statutory prohibition against the FAA collecting user fees now, so the same the the same fights that we've been having for the last couple of decades doesn't really change. Um, it's still just one legislative pen stroke away from happening. You're, you're absolutely. Absolutely right. And so the one of the other gotchas in there is that as you start drawing the, the, the map of what could happen to us, what's the concern for general aviation, the, the access is a big issue, underfunding of uh, the rural areas is a big issue. For EA and Air Venture, it gets even scarier because um, here in, at Whitman Field in, in Oshkosh, it's a contract tower, which then immediately becomes uh, questionable by a new commercial entity as to whether we need one, so that, that could put, potentially go away. But also in a private entity, I think the language was in there that this entity has to find a way to insure themselves. Today, when we run our event and we have 85 air traffic controllers here, they, at least there's assurance of if there's any air traffic control issues, the U.S. government is the, the underwriter of, of any potential losses. I can't imagine what it would cost to go out and get insurance if you were a private, standalone, nonprofit to to be able to cover the air traffic control operation nationally. I mean, that, that number has to be staggering. And again, who's going to pay for it? Yeah, we run a, a very safe operation here at Oshkosh, but still, just that many operations in that type of airspace is, uh, is certainly worrisome to a lot of insurers. And, and it's not only Oshkosh, but yeah, it's Sun sure. and Fun, and it's, it's uh, Copper State, it's uh, NASCAR events, it's the yeah. Controllers for the Super Bowl. It's it, it has far-reaching consequences. So I I try not to be you know too selfish in saying I'm only worried about air venture. I'm worried about recreational aviation events nationally in, in any location. Sure. 
So let me let me ask uh, ask the three of you this answer uh, answer in turn however you'd like, but but uh, we'll start with you, Jack. Um, if if I come along and tell you that uh, uh, I'm just a guy, I've got a got a farm strip and a champ in the hangar, and you know I fly out of there and and once in a while I you know stop at a small airport and get gas or do a few little hundred dollar hamburger runs. And, uh, you know, I could look at you and say, well, you never even use ATC. You don't even have a radio. You don't even have an electrical system. Um, Why should I care about this? What if the Synergy decides that you do need to have a radio and electric system? Okay, I care. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, today, if you look at any of the modernization issues and initiatives, there's a long lead-up to the decision to implement or create anything as part of a modernization scheme, of which we all, through our open access and, and government representation have a vote and get involved in that. And I, I, I can clearly see issues where this commercial entity on its own could come up with its own ideas without understanding the impact to, the, to all the users, and it could get levied on us, and then where are we? I, I think it's important to note that this isn't just air traffic control itself and the controllers being transferred from government control. This is control of the national airspace system being taken out of government control. Excellent point, Mac. And as whether you're a 747 or you're a champ with no electrical system, you are a user of the national airspace system. So and as soon as you get above 400 like feet, they, they own all of that airspace. Absolutely. And I, I even asked the question one of our uh, trips to Washington as this was unfolding. I asked uh, some of the White House team as to who owns the rules and regs around the airspace and the answer was very confusing one looked at the other and said well that'll still remain with the fa the other said oh no that's part of the entity and uh, my guess is if the entity is controlling it they're going to want to own the rules and regs around it otherwise otherwise this even makes less sense to go down that road <laughs> but a great point mac and and you know as we're dealing with an exciting time with innovation bursting loose everywhere and the recognition there are going to be commercial uas operations and other things that need to be integrated into the NAS, uh, you certainly want to make sure there's good oversight and protection for all the, the citizens that use it, and DOD has you know, similar concerns also. Yeah, we were just talking about um, our concerns that, you know, the, 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 uh, the interests of the large commercial carriers um, could dictate a lot of things, uh, but, you know, UAS is a very uh, quickly emerging market, and someday they may be the big dogs in the room. Um, so, and then they're, they're very interested in operating in a lot of the airspace that a lot of, uh, a lot of our members fly in. So that could be a, that could be a, a threat it's, it's not too far away yeah, on the horizon. That's where it's heading. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So uh, we've, we've talked through these things. We've, uh, I think we've given everybody a good grounding on, on what the issue is and where things stand and, and things like this. And, uh, Jack, you mentioned a moment ago, or actually a little bit ago about, uh, you know, all of us, we need to do something. We need to uh, we need to talk to our representatives and things like that. So um, for, for any of you, what, uh, what, is the, what is the call to action? How do we help? How do we get involved? Before I go through the, the nuances of, of the call to action and sure. how that works out is, you know, there's lots of debates on all sides of this issue. And, and I, I look at myself probably more in the category you have pessimists, you have optimists, and then you have realists. And I I think I'm in the center, which is kind of a fact base. And and while we can pick at the different issues, it's still to me what is really, really frustrating is that we have this wonderful system. It's part of the fabric of our nation. The air is something that's a freedom that we 
have in this country. We created a system to manage it and control it. It's proven to be the safest. It moves more airplanes than anywhere in the world. It's not broken. Why, why are we going down this path? Because it has huge consequences if we mess this thing up. And again, I get back to uh, the only thing we really need to do is fund it. And this is about an FA funding bill. And since I think Tom and I were talking this morning about it, last re reauthorization of the FA was in 2011. And Congress keeps kicking the can down the road with continuing resolutions on the funding process. Let's just buck up and get the darn thing funded and, and assured that there's stable and continual funding. And life will be wonderful going, you know, going <laughs> forward without any of these potential, potential risks. See, that last part sounds much more like the optimist than the realist. And that's good. I'm, that's a realist position because if it's funded, it's going to be fine, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's, and, absolutely. And we're not talking yeah, yeah. about dumping bushels of money into the system or, or at least more than we already are. I mean, it's really more like, and again, you know, going back to your business experience, um, you know, if, if, you were, if you didn't know what your budget was year to year, you'd have trouble making long-term right. decisions. Mm -hmm. And that can be fixed easily. But instead, we're, we have other parties, and I think it's primarily the airlines, trying to change the narrative and change the, the, the debate into that it's broken when there's no fact pattern that supports any of that. So I like, I, I like calling people out on that, saying, you know, throw the red flag. You guys aren't even, you know, sharing the, the appropriate facts about what's going on. And, you know, with, uh, with what, somewhere around 600,000 uh, uh, pilots in the United States, doesn't it just feel like we should all be on the same side anyway? It's, uh, it's amazing to me to see see a, a divisive issue like this with, with commercial and airline pilots on, on one side and, and, uh, and the rest of us on but, the other. But, you know, I, I think in fairness to the, the people in the left seat, I think they're on our side also. I mean, this, these are not decisions that commercial airline pilots are, are pushing for. Yeah, that's a it's good point. It's follow the money. Yes, it's follow, follow the money. So it's the, the airlines. And, so and now we can get back in and now what are we, we going to do about it? There you go. Um, you know, one of the things with, with our advocacy team at, uh, at EA, which Tom and Mac are a part of, um, they've done a great job in, in keeping me grounded in how you can make an impact as a citizen. Where a lot of people say, well, I, you know, Washington, I can't control it, I can't do anything. But we have a system that's called Rally Congress, which is a very easy tool for our members to be able to access and send letters by a push of a button, a keystroke on a, on a computer, to their, their elected official, not all of them, to the one in the districts that they live in. And what I have learned over the years is when elected officials getting input from their constituents that's saying, we, here's, here's my position and I voted you into office, they don't ignore it and they don't, uh, they have to address it and they have to find a way to keep their constituents happy or they don't get reelected. And, and we have um, the, a tool, that I mentioned the Rally Congress tool. Um, if you were to go to ea.org under our advocacy uh, section, you will find how you can get to the Rally Congress site, or you can go to govt.ea.org, and it takes you directly to this tool. And I think you'll find it's, all you do is put your zip code in, uh, there's a pre-printed formatted letter that would go to your, uh, both your, your congressman and your two senators in that state. Uh, I can we modify the letter? Is that not? Yes, you can. We've, um, we've created boilerplate language that um, is represents our best effort, mm -hmm. but um, I uh, actually, you know, I used to be a uh, legislative aide at the state level, and um, I can tell you that a personal note from a constituent carries a lot more weight than a form letter, and you can spot the form letters pretty easily. 
So as, as best as we can, as we have done to put together a form letter, a personal note is always better. So okay. feel free to modify. But I don't want to discourage anybody that doesn't want to modify, like myself. <laughs> Make sure you use it because the, yeah. the count of letters going into an elected uh, elected's office is very, very important. If they start seeing thousands of, yes. of, hey, you're on the wrong side on this issue, they will listen or they'll be held accountable by you. Yes, absolutely. I didn't mean to discount volume. Uh, just if, if you do have a little bit of extra time and you'd like to, um, you know, make a, uh, make a more personal ask, that is perfectly fine, too, and always appreciated. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, this podcast was started to reach out to some of the folks that, that we may not be regularly reaching out to uh, outside our membership. And I True. think if anyone's listening, that even if you're not a GA pilot, if, if, if you don't fly, if you just love aviation, uh, please contact Great your, point. your representatives and senators. And, you know, the, the GA pilot community is pretty small. It's a, even a smaller percentage than that 600,000 that Hal right. mentioned earlier. So uh, we, we need a lot more people. And, and uh, actually, you, you bring up another, another uh, nice issue, Mac, in that even if you aren't a pilot, you're paid for this system. <laughs> and so you, you do have ownership of it, about, <laughs> through your taxes. So yeah. that you do have ownership. And I don't know how many of you would love to see something that we've paid for for decades and decades just be handed over to a private entity that could disband it. They could sell it. They could... Uh, not that that's their intent, but you own it, so make your voice heard. Absolutely. And you do not have to be an EAA member even to use no, the Rally Congress correct. tool yeah. that we've got. Anybody can go to that uh, govt.ea.org and dive right in and, uh, and add their voice. All right, uh, Tom or Mac, any closing thoughts? I think, uh, I think we've covered it. Let's get out there and uh, make our voices heard. Excellent. All right. Well, Jack, thanks very much uh, once again for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to join us for this uh, this sort of late breaking uh, breaking episode. I also have to uh, send big thanks to our senior producer uh, Ty Windish for uh, making all this uh, come together, getting everything set up, and looking after the needs of our guests and, and his new staff. Yes, he has a special yeah. uh, his a special assistant. He has a senior production assistant, Hunter Nelson. Hunter Nelson just did a brilliant job in getting uh, all my personal needs here satisfied so I could be as efficient as possible. Excellent. Well done. Uh, well done, Hunter. And Hunter, I believe, is uh, nine years old. So a uh, so big shout out to Hunter for, uh, for stepping in and lending a hand. And, uh, and we have uh, a live studio audience today. So Lily Johnson, uh, thank you for sitting in. This is the second time sitting in on the podcast. And uh, you've done a great job of not looking, uh, not looking bored so, and, and staying engaged. When I'm talking... Everybody's interested when Jack is speaking. So, anyway. So, if that's the case, then until next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.